0: hello hello and welcome or welcome back to the live label free podcast i am incredibly excited for today's episode because it is with a very special guest and that is my wonderful friend mike napier now mike is going to share his story in a bit but i'll quickly share how mike and i got in touch As someone who struggled with an eating disorder and later discovered he's autistic, Mike had been following my work for quite some time and was also subscribed to my email list where I send out weekly content and updates on all things Live Label Free. In case you are not yet on that list, you can join the Live Label Free family by visiting the link livelabelfree.com forward slash join so about a year ago i sent out an email announcing that live label free was hiring as i just couldn't do everything in my business alone anymore and i needed help well mike sent me the most incredible email about how he admired my work and would love to be my helper monkey as he now calls himself Well, now Mike helps me with so many things behind the scenes, including the editing of this podcast. I seriously do not know what I would do without him on the Live Label Free team, and considering he has lived experience with autism and eating disorders, we both thought it would just be the best idea to have a chat on the podcast together. So without further ado, it's time to dive into today's episode with my friend Mike. Welcome to Live Label Free, the podcast where you'll learn to let go of limiting labels and embrace your unique brain. As my mom says so beautifully in her song,
1: is a heavy to carry.
0: which is why on this podcast, You'll learn the scientific links between neurodiversity and eating disorders, giving you a deeper understanding of how you can face your fears and become truly free. Together, you and me, we will keep putting one foot in front of the other. Welcome, Mike. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. Uh, I'm a, I'm a little, admittedly, a little bit nervous for my first time being on your show.
0: Yeah, well, I'm honestly kind of nervous, too, because I feel like I haven't done a podcast interview in, like, forever. Um, And, I mean, I just moved, and Bali was the whole thing. <laughs> and, I mean, it's just so weird now recording with you because we've known each other for a super long time. We've done multiple Zoom calls before, um, and now we're recording a podcast, which knowing that people are going to be listening to this conversation is just kind of a strange idea. Um, But yeah, we're we're going with it. Um, And we're both here and we're both super excited (laughs) to be here um, because you have a very important story to tell, um, as we all do. So, um, yeah, that being said, what what is your story? Um, What can you tell us about your history with eating disorder, with uneating disorder and um, being autistic?
1: Oh, mine is a, a a bumpy road kind of story. I diagnosed uh, autistic for a little over a year, maybe a year and a half. Um, I went back recently and just looked at like my YouTube watch history to, to see something. And I noticed that I was looking at autistic related things probably five, six years ago. Um, so I I guess it had started to enter my head, um, around then because I was, so just to like, go back, I've struggled with mental health for long, for my entire life. I mean, I don't remember a time where I didn't, I wasn't depressed. I didn't have anxiety. Um, my earliest memories are dealing with something, even though I don't, I didn't quite know what it was. Um. A bit of a trigger warning, but I, you know, dealt with suicidal tendencies and attempts very early on. Um, I started thinking about that, you know, at age ten. Wow. Um. So, and and didn't know what depression was until much, much, much later. Um. Mm-hmm. There, there were things kind of like in culture or in media that I, I gravitated towards that. Now I look back and go like, okay, I was seeing myself in them or it was helping me understand something, even though I didn't quite, didn't quite know what depression was until I was like really a teenager. Um, mm-hmm. It was just a word before then. So, and then I didn't get into therapy because I hid it. Um, even my family didn't know I I dealt with mental illness until maybe seven years ago, wow!
0: Um, mm-hmm.
1: If that, um, and shortly after that, I guess because I finally felt comfortable because they knew that I got into therapy, and I think my therapist pretty early on pegged me as being on the spectrum.
0: And just just because I'm, because I know, of course, you age and everything. But for our listeners, can you kind of give context of what is just seven years ago compared to how long you've been struggling?
1: Uh well right now I'm 34, so yeah so it's that's, been a long time.
0: So if my yeah. math is correct, that's been 24 years of struggling, and your family didn't really know until seven years ago, which is like a third of that amount of time.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, um, Crazy. I still don't know how I hit it so well. I mean, I you just get good at. I mean, obviously, when you're autistic, you know you're good at masking. Um, but also depression comes with putting on a a fake smile. I always think um there's a silent film, a Lon Chaney film, uh called The Man Who Laughs. Um and he plays a character who's kind of um been deformed. Um it's kind of like um an act of revenge and he he's in a a constant grimace, mm-hmm. a constant smile. So he works kind of like as a, a traveling clown with a circus. Um it's kind of like a stage show. And one of the other clowns, and everyone's kind of laughing at him at one point. The show's oh. over and stuff. He's just hanging out by a door, and people are laughing at him because they think he's laughing. And um, and he's trying to tell them, like, I'm not smiling. Like, I'm not laughing. Uh-huh. Like, stop laughing at me. Oh, because he has that other-
0: clown face?
1: Yeah, he's in a <laughs> constant see. grimace. And one of the other clowns comes up to him, and he's wiping his makeup all- off and stuff. He says, you know, Gwen Payne you're lucky at the end of the day, you don't have to wipe your smile off mm-hmm. and he's, cr- and Gwyn Payne is, is crying, but mm-hmm. you can't tell he's crying. And like, that's depression to me wow. is, is you're just walking around that way and you're dying slowly inside, And but you, no one notices, you know, you're in a room and your heart's pounding a million miles an hour and you look calm. You know, I, I think, People with depression have an uncanny ability to be eternally calm, at least on the outside.
0: I love that. I love that metaphor. And it's really reminding me a lot, um, especially when you touched on like autistic people are good at masking, is that I think there's really a parallel between autistic people are so good at pretending we're fine, we're okay, while inside we are burnt out, we are exhausted. um, and, And we... we we feel like we can't sustain this faking who we are yet we see no other option like it's like we've this is who we've been this is what we've been doing for however long we remember you know having a conscious thought um and I personally was diagnosed with depression together with anorexia when I was 11 um but like from this description, and just kind of upon self reflection, and just reflecting as I wrote my book Rainbow Girl as well, I I personally don't believe that I ever struggled with clinical depression. I think for me it was more of a form of autistic shutdown, and I I definitely do know that a lot of autistic people do also struggle with depression. Um, but I I do think that there's a difference between basically autistic shutdown and depression because how you describe it this like this really deep feeling of of just sadness and dying inside um I mean that sounds really intense and and I I don't even I can't even imagine what what that must feel like because it's not a feeling I personally resonate with with, so I did just want to throw that out there (laughs) um because I do think it's important you know to acknowledge that um as as people, we will not always firsthand understand others, even if we ha- do have same similar diagnoses. Um, and kind of also with regards to the masking, um, I I love that you are on the podcast as a male, eating disorder sufferer and autistic person who is saying I I was so good at masking because I do feel like. Even though there are a lot of stigmas around autism in general, and especially like autism in girls, I think a really common stigma is also, yeah, well, girls are better at masking. And that's why they go undiagnosed. But I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't mean that males and men and members of the LGBTQ community are, are not that at yeah. masking, right? Um, So so I just also wanted to point that out for our listeners. um. So, yeah, kind of you just touched on kind of your depression and um, sharing how you've been kind of interested in autism for some years now and you were diagnosed last year. Where and when did your eating disorder kind of play into
1: all of this? Uh, it was probably about six years ago. Um, everything kind of runs together now uh, post-COVID. Uh-huh. But um, I had developed ED around them. Um, around six years ago. It kind of started out innocently enough. I mean these oh, it always tend does, to, right? Yeah. <laughs> I just thought I was being healthy.
0: Listening.
1: Exactly. I I didn't have a good relationship with food before this. And a lot of it had to do with depression. I depression ate. Um definitely. I use food for self soothing and stuff. And of course there's nothing food is comforts, food mm-hmm. is soothing and all that. But like all things, it can be taken in a incorrect direction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Just not to interrupt, but just to elaborate on that. I mean, I love that you just pointed out like food is a joyful thing. Like it, it can be a joyful experience, but if it's the only source of joy in your life, I think that's kind of where, where it tips the skills into what, what's going on underneath you.
1: Exactly. And, you know, I, I had for years and years, I had, wanted to you know get better shape get get you know get healthier, and even though I never learned about nutrition or anything until that point mm-hmm. um and you know now of course, knowing about being on the spectrum, I can understand like this this stuff became a special interest pretty quickly mm-hmm. um I'm a nerd, so I'll just start immediately nerding into any subject uh especially when it involves science oh yeah you know me too so (laughs) yeah so soon as i start was able to like start learning like oh that's interesting that's really interesting that's interesting too and then it just you know it all. and at first it was fine you know things were actually mostly okay um i was i was improving my relationship with food um as far as like depression eating and Mm -hmm. and things like that and i was really enjoying you know I, I started, you know, boxing and doing other things because I've always liked layout lifting weights and, and stuff like that. And it was it was helping my self-esteem a lot. And I don't have a self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And of course, it helping my self-esteem is faux helping my self-esteem. Yeah. Uh, whenever you're, you know, looking good physically. You know, I, I obviously had some body dysmorphia problems. I still do. Um, I'll always have those issues. Um, just like I'll always have depression, but it's it became a restrictive eating disorder, even though I didn't know it. Over the course of a few months, where everything started to ramp up, mm-hmm. everything was very balanced at first, but then I was doing the cheat meals on weekends thing,
0: uh-huh.
1: um, and you know, a lot of those things at first were working for me. I wasn't really thinking about food or or eating or anything mm-hmm. outside of like yeah whatever you know i would work out i you know had certain certain habits um you know i wasn't really working at the time so uh, but i was doing other things and then it started to encroach on my entire life until right. it became my entire life and it was at that point um you know the cheap meals would start being put off where mm-hmm. it was every weekend to maybe just saturday to well i have i'm going to go to like um a comic convention in a couple weeks so I'm not going to have a cheat meal for the month leading into it.
0: Right, right, like creating Uh, that buffer, yeah.
1: Yeah, just so I can feel more confident based on how I look, you know, things like that. You know, Mm -hmm. I never had good self-esteem and yeah, Um, a lot of like self-hatred problems and and stuff like that. So anything Mm -hmm. I could do to alleviate that, I get into, and that's what led to binges. Mm -hmm. Um, I began to binge eat, um, which then was just, like, horrible self-hatred. And I would fast for 24 hours coming out of it.
0: Right. Because you need, yeah, you feel like you need to, like, compensate for everything you binged on.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I I dealt with depression and everything for so long. It's like I knew the ins and outs of that. The Mm -hmm. eating disorder was new. Right. It was new and I didn't know how to deal with it which led me into finally getting into therapy. And I wish I had done that much sooner, but obviously I was I was kind of hiding my mental illness. So mm-hmm. that ever really felt like an option. And that led me into, you know, doing research, doing getting into therapy led me to believe I had binge eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Looking back, I don't know if I ever had that. I had very hardcore binges, but I think it was orthorexia, anorexia, and I would just binge because of that. Um, but there is a stigma, especially at the time. Um, if you're a guy, you get binge eating disorder. Oh yeah. 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 You don't get anorexia. anorexia
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. uh, Guys, you know how guys eat a lot, you know, it's, it's that, Mm -hmm. um, and my therapist meant well, but she kind of continued that in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways she actually kind of worsened things. Um,
0: yeah I feel like I feel like but, many you know. many therapists do in the sense that they often confirm kind of what you already believe, even if these beliefs are not healthy um or or they kind of i'm I'm currently listening to a book on trauma, and the author talks a lot about how um in traditional therapy modalities, they'll ask their client like. Like what's coming up for you, and the client will basically say like this happened in my past, and they'll be like, well, let's talk about that experience, and basically cause them to relive the trauma. Um, and and I think that's kind of where therapy and just treatment can be harmful in the fact that they really place a lot of focus and attention on the problem and the past rather than like okay where do you want to go? Like, what are concretely your goals? And how can we work towards that? I feel like that's a much more proactive approach. Um, And and yeah, also touching on what you said regarding the binging and how that was just a response, actually, to the restriction and the orthorexia and the anorexia. um, It was a very... It's a very common feel, you know, that you're swinging to the other side and developing binge eating disorder when your body is trying to get you back to this place of energy balance again. And that's, of course, why I created my course um, that explains, you know, that what you're experiencing is not actually binge eating disorder simply a response for your body to get healthy again but again like you mentioned with the stigmas um that is definitely a stigma in the eating disorder community and mental health community in general like guys don't get anorexia like only uh thin white women get anorexia right and um kind of that being said how do you believe that the stigmas and misconceptions around males with eating disorders impacted you in, in as a whole
1: um, oh, man. It, it greatly impacted me. You know, it's especially kind of a shying away from admitting it was anorexia, because it's both like, um, it's admittedly feels shameful, like you don't, like you're doing something you don't belong to. Yeah. Um, also, I get, I, I'm always very hyper concerned about like, co-opting things. Mm-hmm. So it feels almost like, I'm I'm walking into a room that I wasn't welcomed in and I'm taking attention away from people who do belong there. Yeah. Um and of course anybody can can get anorexia. Um it's it's just a mental illness like any other. It it does not discriminate. Yeah. Um and it's it's hard to talk about. I still have a hard time talking about it in in front of a lot of people, you know. It's as much as I always have tried to own everything that comes with mental illness and myself because i i because i want to do that for to give other people strength as much as possible even if i don't feel it in myself Mm -hmm. the eating disorder has been difficult it's difficult for everybody but i I especially think as a man you are felt as a lesser part of society in a weird way um you're, you're kind of nothing's really made for you um because every time you try to like reach out to and i have found some some you know online um recovery groups and things that are men focused but it's very rare you know they're not as regular mm-hmm. um and a lot of i find that a lot of language discounts you and i think when you're in a vulnerable place anytime an opposite language is used it feels like a little bit of a a prick in your heart
0: yeah like no, just
1: it just yeah. takes away a little bit of energy from you
0: yeah no i i can definitely see that and i think i mean the stigma that exists around males with eating disorders i feel like is kind of a similar stigma that exists around girls who are autistic um it, it's yeah. almost like flipped like oh only boys get autism but only girls get eating disorders and i mean many of the studies also talk about like yeah um same things. But when we look at these studies, and, and who they're being conducted on, I'm like, these studies are the very definition of stigmatization. Um, And I think that's kind of also where the, that danger of labels comes into play a lot, like you just mentioned with the language. Um, but but also the entire kind of concept of, different types of eating disorders like anorexia bulimia um binge eating um and now we also have like atypical anorexia right an eating disorder not specified and, and RFID is in there too which many people with RFID there's also mixed feelings about like i don't have i don't suffer from RFID, but i have RFID and and that's just who i am like and just seeing it as a form of neurodiversity <laughs> I just I think the problem with these labels is exactly what you're saying is that if you don't feel like you exactly match the description attached to that label, you feel like you don't belong. You feel like you don't deserve that label. And this is where atypical anorexia, which is, of course, I'm putting quotation marks in the for people who can obviously not see me right now. (laughs) Um, is is that right that um I d- I don't deserve anorexia because I don't match typical anorexia even though atypical anorexia basically anorexia while not being severely underweight and not fitting that stereotype is most likely much more common um and and I mean I've pondered kind of this idea a lot and it's actually something I'm gonna write about in a future book but that I believe that. Just like autism and neurodiversity, I believe it would be much more um, inclusive if we just saw eating disorders as a spectrum as well, Um, because I think the only thing that defines uh, an eating disorder versus just like eating in a certain way, like many autistic people do, is if it inhibits your quality of life. Um, And you kind of touched on that earlier, you were saying, you know, I felt like I was eating balanced, like I didn't really think about food, it wasn't really a big part of my life, Was just kind of a side thing. But the moment that my entire life started revolving around this, and, and I just, you know, couldn't live my life anymore because the eating disorder was obstructing that. I think that's when when it takes the makes a shift into disorder. And I think that's also why many people with ARFID, you know, who are so, so-called by society are deemed as picky and restrictive avoidant eaters. But I mean, if their way of eating is not going at the cost of their health or happiness or quality of life, I think that's where these people advocating for ARFID is not a disorder are saying, it's not a disorder, this is just me and I'm always gonna have RFID. Um, but then there are other people that I know who have RFID that say, like, no, RFID sucks and I don't want this anymore because they do feel restricted, they do feel limited. Um and yeah, that's of course kind of the whole philosophy behind Live Label Free is I'm not against labels because I mean we we need labels to function as a society. Like if peanut butter jars and things containing peanuts did not have the label saying allergy warning peanuts con- contained in this product like people with a peanut allergy would literally die <laughs> um but <laughs> of course it's the danger is is when the labels inhibit our quality of life um and they exactly. restrict us um so yeah kind of touching back on what you said about the the language and how certain terms used in the eating disorder community kind of prick you in the heart um i'm i'm now suddenly reminded of princess aurora from sleeping Beauty. Putting a hand on the spindle. <laughs> I don't even know why that came up in me. Um, but probably because someone said that my book Rainbow Girl looked like a new Disney character, um, which I can totally A little see. bit. Um, and the book is laying right there. So I'm just a lot of thoughts are mixing <laughs> in my head right now. Um, but yeah, kind of that being said, um, how do you believe that we can improve the use of neutral of neutral language and create more inclusivity in the eating the space?
1: I think it's important to separate when you're kind of speaking in general eating disorder terms. This is this is true of whether or not you want to be inclusive to men, but also of being gender inclusive Mm -hmm. um, and all that is, I think, separating whenever you're being you're talking specifically about problems relating to women, problems Mm -hmm. related to um, cis women. Mm-hmm. Um, or problems related to men or cis men or problems related to LGBTQ+. plus. I think separating whenever you're being specific and whenever you're just being general. When you're being oh, general...
0: I like that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. When you're being general, use neutral terms. Yes. Uh, I think you don't understand... I think a lot of people don't understand how far just saying your or them or they or our can go like just simple little pronoun changes yeah like um I use a recovery app that's helped a lot and like actually usually after you log food it gives you like a a quote or something like that and very often then I kind of have to like is very often the the quotes have like her or she or something in there and 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 look I'm being I'm gonna be very honest with you. I actually don't get along with men very well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's um, why we start to go to friends. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly. Um, I'm, I'm not exactly what you would call like traditionally masculine or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what sports are, but um, I read comic books. But um, I, it makes you feel like you're abnormal when you already have something that makes you feel abnormal. Yeah. Um, and it can create like a bit of a feedback loop. Like uh, one of the reasons I started listening to you is because I heard you using those neutral terms when discussing mm-hmm. an eating disorder. Um, I've heard that on podcasts and I've reached out to people on Instagram to thank them for using those terms, you know, just don't, it's the little things that go a long way. Yeah, you know, you yeah, don't it have to is. like, yeah, you don't always have to go with, you don't have to stop and go like, and also men always get this, but. And and try to be inclusive. Oh, on to there's some differences in how men experience it right. versus women. You know, yeah.
0: Um,
1: we hear a lot about women losing their periods and and all the all the just horribleness that that goes along with that. But there's also biological components that happen to men that aren't discussed.
0: Yeah, you know, sex drive yeah, goes absolutely. out the window.
1: Um, yeah. completely. Um, our our bodies. Have different um physiological reactions to restriction mm-hmm. than than women um it's actually kind of interesting whenever you start diving into that science about like you know looking up different um blood tests and everything else and comparing the comparing the two it, it is actually interesting what's different, and you don't hear those differences really discussed and I think there's some science there that's that could help bring some comfort because there's a lot of it's hard to look up information um that's specific to men with eating disorders from a scientific perspective because people don't have never done tests, have never have never done studies really. So there's a lot that's missing Mm -hmm. um on all of that. And it left me in a lot of places of being unknown and kind of scared because Mm -hmm. I was going through a lot of medical problems and talking to my doctors and go like, look, I'm going to guess these things are from the eating disorder, yeah. But there is no information I can find on right. men with eating disorders, so I don't know what this could be or what this could be. So it's like I'm having like a spinal tap, or you know, I'm having like a spinal bone. Uh, I'm having like a bone marrow biopsy, right, to see if I have leukemia because there's not information on whether or not my le- low white blood cell counts is from ed or i'm dying
0: oh this sorry this is so interesting about the white blood cell thing just i'm just really excited right now because i have low white blood cell count as well and i had it yeah and i had it doing my eating disorder and they said it's because you're malnourished it's because your immune system isn't working but But like, even when I was like well in recovery and I was like in the whole weight restored, overshoot kind of thing, I still have low white blood cells. And they were like, yeah, your body's just like still like recovering. And I'm like, people, it's been six years. Like, I don't think that's the case. Um, And it's funny because literally last week, Last week, two weeks ago, I have um, a client um, who's part of the LGBTQ community, um, and they identify as they, them, and um, they also have low white blood cell count, and we were just talking about that, and now I'm just, especially after you mentioning it, I literally wrote in my notes, um, are, is low white blood cell count possibly an autistic trait, um, because I kind of did some research into that and there is some information on it, which now I'm like, no, I have to go into this rabbit hole. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then also what you, I'm just really excited right now because it's just like all stuff I'm working on (laughs) behind the scenes. Um, What you mentioned about like the, the, the sex hormones too. I actually, um, As you know, I finished writing my third book, um, How to Beat Extreme Hunger, which my editor is going to edit in November. So it should be coming out next year. Um, And I talk about um, like when you come out of this place of energy deficit, like what actually happens to the sex hormones. And I, of course, talk about um, like periods and stuff and the like different uh, glands in the body that are responsible for eliciting certain hormones involved in this process. Um, but I, I wanted to make my book as inclusive as possible. So I actually also talk about, um, the male, the male hormones and, and kind of how this also ties back to stress. And I'm just going to have to, Mike, I'm just going to have to send you like this chapter. Um, so everyone who's listening to this, you're just going to have to wait. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but, but yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like, this is obviously why I wrote about it and spent much of my precious time in Bali doing this research is because it is so important that we include everyone, because as you said, eating disorders do not discriminate and only talking about like, yeah, like women lose their period. Like we're just, we are discriminating against a majority of the population, (laughs) um, including men and of course, members of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, so yeah, kind of with that with all that being said and, and following your advice, like if you are talking about eating disorders and creating content, um, do do notice your language choices, um, because like like you said the small changes go a long way and for us the for you as an individual using them like it doesn't take that much effort um except for of course those people who are like they them it's not proper grammar and i'm like yeah well <laughs> if you're helping <laughs> another person and you're like allowing someone to feel seen like exactly. like who gives who hoots about grammar because grammar was, is also just another label that some random O invented um <laughs> So, yeah, kind of I don't even know where I'm going with all this. My enthusiasm is kind of getting the best of me. Um <laughs> but coming back, something I really wanted to talk about that I thought was, would be really interesting also for the listeners um is that you mentioned in your notes before we started recording, um eating eating as a stim. Um can you kind of tell our audience a little more about that?
1: Sure. Um guess it's something that I kind of like stumbled into looking back at my life you know now post diagnosis Mm -hmm. and uh examining like okay what was what was me stimming what what wasn't and a lot of my quote-unquote problems with food prior to developing the ed because I kind of separated even though I didn't have a good relationship with food that it wasn't eating it wasn't disordered eating it was just not a good relationship with food you know it's mm-hmm. it's kind of more like more subtle than that and part of that i realized was the um, the sensory input of eating mm-hmm. and i'm I'm a, I'm a big ice chewer i chew ice constantly yes
0: you've told me Always about that have. Before. i i cannot stand yeah. that it's
1: weird i admit <laughs> it's 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 weird um and I, and then as soon as i'm done like i I'm my mouth so numb I can't like blah, 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 I can't talk and I'm cold and shivering like but it's so good. I, um, wait, I,
0: I need to tell you because I'm I'm completely the opposite. I'm like a, a hot person food. Like even in the summer, I will eat hot oatmeal and like the the famous not I don't even know why I said famous but like the thing with me is that like Livia. You know, our families like Livia always needs a microwave. Like if we go on vacation and there's no microwave, like I will literally go buy a microwave <laughs> so I can microwave my food. Um and as a kid, that was always like the disaster, like in restaurants. I'd be like, the food is not hot enough. And like they would need to go take it back and like put it in the microwave. Um, but what happens <laughs> a lot of the time for me, um, is I can also be very impatient when it comes to food. Like if I want to eat, I wanna eat now and I don't wanna wait. Um and so what I'll do is I'll I'll blast it in the microwave, whether it be coffee or oatmeal or bread or whatever it be. And, and then I'll like immediately like shovel it down and, and then I'll burn my mouth and I'll be like, okay, now I need to put ice in my mouth, but I hate having ice in my mouth <laughs> in contrast to you. So that's kind of my, <laughs> my constantly switching. Um, and I was, t- I saw a meme the other day that was like, autistic people are either like, eating really fast or eating slow like there's no in between (laughs) and i feel like that's it's true yeah that's me too (laughs) like i either want to just eat and get over get it over with or if i'm eating like while um reading my notes while working on my book i'll be like so engrossed in my book that i'll be like oh there's there's food actually like next to me um and then it'll be like an hour later um so yeah i feel like that's a very a very common just autistic thing um it's like we're never just like in the middle we're either like one extreme or the other same with my energy i'm never like just like neutral like i either have a ton of energy or i'm just so tired and just need to lay down um so yeah, yeah.
1: 90 percent of the time i'm about to take a nap at all times <laughs> or i'm manic there's yeah. no difference um but it's interesting like it's it's the extreme temperatures. Like uh-huh, it's just exactly. something about like the sensory input of the extreme temperatures, um, and it, th- and that's it. Like eating is a, like an all sensory sensation, and there's right. and it, it's a and good and that's a good thing, and that's what's great about it. Um, mm-hmm. food is awesome. Um, I I love cooking and and things like that, so I I must have a bit of a foodie, um, mm-hmm. a bougie one at that. Um, I do admit, but. And a lot of this was because I was depression eating back then and it was a way to numb out. Of course you don't, you can be neurotypical and be dealing with depression and use food to numb out. That's very common with depression. Right. But um, it, it went beyond that. Not when I was just trying to numb out. It was just, there's a lot of noise going on right now. So Mm -hmm. let me eat a lot or something like, because that will like, yeah. It, it's, it overtakes all of the other senses. You know, I've kind of realized I don't, um, whenever I'm eating, because it's such a, it, it has so much sensory input going on yeah. that it's difficult for me to go, am I done? Wait, am I... I actually tasting if this is good or not? Yeah. It's, Um, and I actually have gotten better at, you know, I got kind of into like traditional, you know, like actual mindful eating, not like weird d- Bougie, bougie. Uh, mindful eating. <laughs> Take five uh,
0: bites and put your fork down to enjoy and savor the textures while taking in your environment.
1: <laughs> yes, and it's like there's a lot of that stuff I I really like, you know. But there is more to it from like a fundamental, like philosophical point of view yeah. that I really like. Like I remember when I was I was reading mindful eating was the first thing like my therapist gave me. Mm-hmm. um, I don't see her anymore, but um, and it, the book was very helpful. And but I was um you know reading about like there was like this mindful eating um retreat or something and they like ate a single raisin over the course of like 30 minutes or something oh my or something God. ridiculous that like honestly that honestly sounds like all, a it was... very
0: torturous experience to me <laughs>
1: uh. but it was also like no something i would never do but i'd also find stuff like that interesting like because i get stuck on like very philosophical terms of like if i'm eating a food like This was at a restaurant. Like this was actually prepared by hands from somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, it was put together, and then the recipe came from somewhere, and each ingredient in it traveled from somewhere. Like it, it, like all these steps got here. I. This is a weird thing to get on, but no, um, no, but it's true.
0: It's interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah. I get stuck on sidewalks. Um, this is random, but it's the same thing with me in sidewalks. I, I find sidewalks kind of fascinating. Whenever I'm like looking at cracks in sidewalks, Mm -hmm. because it's like what that stands for. Like one day in the past, 50, 60 years ago, you could say um, longer in some instances, that concrete was laid and that sidewalk was put down by people working their ass off, you know, sweating out in the heat, laying it. And then over the course of time all the people who walked on that sidewalk, like their feet, each of their lives walked across it
0: mm-hmm.
1: and incrementally pressure from the earth, from being it being walked on, created those cracks in the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And it's like the fact that stands for passage, passage of time in some way, mm-hmm. like fascinates me. And I get the same way about like food. Like if I'm having something with a tomato, like it's really interesting to stop and think like, this tomato came from a farm somewhere far off and was like grown and, and loved by hand and then like transported here and now is like on a plate and I'm eating it. It's it's like, it's stuff like that that interests me and has gotten me to like kind of slow down and, you know, I don't really mindfully eat as much, but I do try to pay more attention to what yeah. I'm eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that's something that helps me, not necessarily is something everybody needs to do, but... To that end, it helped me with the fact that I would eat as a stem. Um, yes. This is something I discovered was because of that, like all sensory experience, when things would get ugly or I f- or would feel out of my control, just grazing or eating a lot would be a big help to me mm-hmm. because I'd be able to shut everything out.
0: Yeah, it's it's a sensation of of the
1: taste yeah the sensation of the taste i wouldn't notice anything else it would make everything kind of go away
0: yeah it's a distraction
1: yeah yeah the act of chewing um especially the act of chewing just having something in there like i've now kind of switched i've been doing some uh jewelry stuff you know that's uh, so funny i just
0: i just finished reading that book um unmasking autism by devin price have you read it no oh it's like I think right now it's like the number one bestseller on like all the autism book lists, oh, but, um, but they talk about jewelry <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> she was like, it's jewelry you can chew on. Um, and they actually talk about it a lot in the book. So it's, it's funny cause I ju- like, I just finished reading that book yesterday. First time hearing the term jewelry and now, now you're saying it. Um, so I'm like, Synchronicities. it's a sign. Um, exactly. But, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. And and, and now I mean, because um, I feel like the whole eating and, and eating as a stim and also the binge eating and, and like, because I know that a lot of autistic people do also struggle with binge eating because of that sensory input. I think it would be absolutely phenomenal to do a future podcast episode um, together talking about autism and binge eating, um, which Speaking of doing future podcast episodes together, um, I do have a very exciting announcement, um, for our listeners, um, which I'll record in the outro of this episode, um, but but yeah, we're definitely gonna do a future um episode on that, um, because it's it's something that I um I have experienced firsthand as well. Like I write a lot about like my restrictive eating disorder, anorexia orthorexia, um, in my book Rainbow Girl, obviously, um, but. This past year has been very, very stressful for me. Um, and I have noticed myself, you know, turning to food at, at certain times, also just to distract myself and to numb out from the world, and like also not wanting that experience of eating to end because it means yes. that I have to like face the world again. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's going to be a great topic to get into. Um, and. Oh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, and then also what you said about, like, the tomato and, like, thinking about where this came from. That is something I really had to do when I was in Bali, where basically every single piece of food is polluted. Um, And, yeah, we're, we're going to have to do a future episode, too, on the Bali update because I, I just can't do it by myself because I'm quite traumatized. Um,
1: You have to exercise those demons.
0: Yeah, I like, I, I'm very very traumatized by the food poisoning like i literally thought i was going to die um not okay not to like compare these two but when you said um depression feels like you're slowly dying inside that is what food poisoning felt like but on like a very physical level like that my or like i literally thought i was gonna like vomit my organs out like it was very awful you have an Um, alien
1: swirling around inside your gut
0: Yeah, but it's, like, when you think about it, like, when you're mindful about, like, obviously what food poisoning is, like, it's actually amazing that your body just, like, vomits all of that up because you literally have poison inside and your body and your white blood cells and your immune system is, like, working really hard to, like, rid yourself of the actual poison. So. Yeah, I mean, the binge eating, Bali cast, we're going to have to do it all. Um, So be sure to stay tuned for the final announcement, people. Um, But yeah, I think, I mean, we we just talked about so much. Um, And I'm so, so grateful, Mike, for you sharing your story on here. And, and it's also really fun for me because I know a lot more about you as well. Even though we've known each other for well over a year at this point, I feel like I don't even know. Yeah, I think um, so. So, yeah, like kind of aside from everything you touched on today, is there anything else um you wanted you wanted our listeners to take away?
1: Yeah, um, you know, my advice to pretty much anybody is always you know one one thing that's always been very important to me in life is media, um and not in like a frivolous sort of way, but that helped me through a lot of dark times was finding community through media, uh mm-hmm. other fans of the same thing um gravitating towards certain, certain things, or also just finding comfort, uh, mm-hmm. finding something that speaks to me, even if it seems unimportant. The thing I'd like everyone to do is just find one thing, uh, no matter what it is, how frivolous it may feel to you, and love it unconditionally. I'll probably go on a bit of a diatribe here, but because when everything feels like really bleak or, or difficult, know you have that thing and hold on to it i'm not i'm not religious um and no disrespect to and to anyone who is but uh, a facet of the belief of a higher power is something i don't resonate with because it removes like the concept of chaos the beauty of chaos and happenstance stephen hawking had a theory that intelligent life in the universe was an accident uh the end result of a chaotic chain reaction of molecular events, and then boom we were and the idea of that I think scares a lot of people. The idea of like this higher power guiding us our existence has purpose uh beyond our choices you know that kind of that kind of thing is a really easy comfort, but stop for a second and ask what if there wasn't in in like the grand purview of the cosmos if there were like a time lapse from the moment the earth was formed to the moment it ceases and freezes after like the sun burns out in like a billion years like the actual span of time humans populated the earth Like life itself populated the earth will be so tiny you could blink and completely miss it, and that's just the enormous magnitude of like what time represents. Mm -hmm. And for me, media art—I should say—not so much media, but art—is the primary reason that humans exist. Like animals have something that they give the ecosystem or give the universe at large through their existence. You know, there's some. There is some reason to being f- for that purpose and humans are able to create art. They're able to create something yeah. outside of themselves. That's what, rep- that's what differentiates us from other animals and arts and creation can take on any meaning individually going to film, which obviously I keep referencing uh, is something that is near and dear to me, you know, film, comics, uh, certain types of music, but film, definitely. Um, this is, It's a weird um, analogy that I always go back to, but the ending of the film Men in Black, stay with me. I swear to God, this will make sense. Um, The entire movie is this chase to like save the known galaxy from being destroyed, overrun, annihilated by like these alien sex. Like it's the ultimate urgency Mm -hmm. and it's a battle that everyone on the planet Earth doesn't even know is happening. And the key to it is like this little marble, this little marble galaxy that is around the collar of cat. And at the very end, when all is said and done, we zoom out from the earth, we zoom out from the Milky Way, we zoom out through the universe even further. And our universe is then contained within a little bit of a little tiny marble. And it's being played with uh, by two like massive aliens, like it's a toy, Uh these other intelligent (laughs) beings. And I think about that a lot. Like you can telescope that out forever and ever ever and ever and ever. Like that universe is then in a marble and that universe is then in a marble. There's always something bigger. Everything's small. Everything, Mm -hmm. everything is insignificant. Yeah. And that can be scary on one hand, but only if you want it to be. Mm -hmm. If everything is equally insignificant, then everything is equally important. Yeah. So if the only thing you find joy in right now is the next episode of a TV show you like, a book you're reading, um, a a book on your shelf, um, a stuffed animal, a collection of stuffed animals, uh, doodling stick figures in the notebook, Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, putting together a jigsaw puzzle. You know, when I was little, I would think I didn't want to be alive and I didn't know why. The only thing was, I would stumble upon, like, okay, but this next episode of this show I really like, I yeah. would miss that if I did anything to myself. And I would hold on to that thought to try to like ride through when I felt really bad. It, whatever it is for you, that is as important as the biggest thing in the universe right now. It's the center of your universe. It's just as important as your mental health, just as important as your physical health. The thing you the thing over here you think is really important some random chore or some thing that you're like beating yourself up for like oh if you don't get to this today it's going to fall apart everything's going to fall apart it is no more important than anything else so take yeah. time to enjoy the thing you think is insignificant there's beauty in insignificance there's calm in insignificance to use another analogy and going back to almost like the passage of time and things like that. And this one's a bit more um, maudlin, admittedly, but like we're right now experiencing this rapid ramp up of climate change. And, um, you know, you think back 20, 30, 50, 60, 100 years ago, you know, some piece of litter being thrown on the ground, um, a plastic cup being thrown into the ocean. A time we put a water bottle, one of us put a water bottle in a trash can instead of a recycling bin. Each moment of that seems insignificant at the time, but is important simultaneously. It's the mm-hmm. same thing for anything. You know, don't beat yourself up for not recovering fast enough or for struggling one day versus another or for taking time for yourself. You are doing the best you can. Cherish what you want to cherish. Never let anyone tell you that. The thing you like is stupid or not important. If you love one stupid, dumb thing in your mind, that thing is not stupid or dumb because it's not to you.
0: Yeah. Stupid and dumb are just labels too.
1: Exactly. I, I know shit is hard. To anyone listening, I know shit is hard. All I can promise is we can bear it all together because that insignificance brings us all into like one circle so let yourself feel that insignificance have a good time with what you want to have a good time with and just say fuck it
0: well well mike i've got to be honest i really needed that today too um because i especially with with what i told you before we started recording this I've been feeling so burnt out and just so much to do and too little time. Um, I've been telling myself, like, Livia, slow the fuck down. Like everything yeah. like everything is gonna happen when it happens anyway. So you like the only thing you can't control the speed of time, but you can control the actions you take within that time. Um, and and yeah, a, a practice, something I've been needing to practice is also just accepting that I can't be on I can't be productive all the time I can't be working all the time because it's not sustainable um and and giving myself time and space to say you know fuck scripting a podcast episode I'm just gonna watch Netflix right now because that's what I need um exactly yeah and then what you just said like thank you for that I mean the fact like I'm I'm getting so much about out of that and I just know that all of our listeners will, too. Um, and that's why I'm so excited that um, you're going to be on so many future episodes as well. Um, so, yeah. Thank you again, Mike, so much for being on the podcast. Um, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, what what is the best way to do that?
1: Sure. I'm. Um, you can find me on uh, social media. Uh, Instagram, I'm uh, at Lucky Deck Napier, L-U-C-K-Y-D-E. C K N A P I E R because everyone always asks me to spell it all. <laughs> um, same thing on X or Twitter or whatever the hell that's called for the five more minutes it exists. And I'm also uh, you can reach me on like Facebook. The same thing. Um, I also host another podcast, uh, Box Office Pulp, where we just talk about movies and have a good time. Um, try to get deep into the text here and there a little bits. And of course, anybody can reach out to me on any of those things. For any reason if you just need to talk or just want to gab about if you want to just escape for five seconds by talking about the thing you like or if you need to talk about heavy things you know i'm i'm here to be uh to be some ears and the shoulder so anytime anybody needs anything i'm right there just come find me
0: yep he's he's always right there for me too so this it's not, it's not a joke. It's just real stuff. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you again, Mike, for sharing your story and for being so vulnerable. Um, and for all the philosophical insights as well. Um, I, I think as autistic people, um, we can really appreciate that on a deeper level. <laughs> um, cause yeah. almost every autistic person I've met just has this really deep philosophical insight, um, which, I'm like, mm, that's no coincidence. <laughs> so um, yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Um, and we'll chat with you in the next episode. Bye bye for now. Wow. What a powerful and insightful conversation that was. Despite Mike's many years of struggling, his vulnerability and willingness to share his story shows how strong he is. I am so grateful to know Mike and to be able to work with him within Live Label Free. In fact, I have a very exciting announcement regarding Mike and the podcast, and that is that starting now, Mike will be my co-host. If you've been a long time listener of the podcast, you know that this podcast has mainly consisted of me doing solo episodes with a few interviews thrown in here and there. And as much as I love talking to you in my lonesome, producing solo episodes takes a lot of my energy. I'm not the kind of person who can just talk into the microphone without losing my train of thought and stuttering, which means that I script out and then practice the entire episode before I record. I mean, I sustained this for a while, but at this point, the task has just become so monumental that the very idea of continuing with that approach almost made me want to quit this podcast. I'm currently in a phase of burnout, so I decided I really needed to get my priorities straight. And obviously, I don't want to quit the podcast because I love connecting with you and other listeners. So when I shared my thoughts with Mike, he suggested me having a co-host so that I could just have a conversation without it needing to be scripted. Because I mean, a lot of what I talk about, I already know and I do speak from the heart. Um, I just don't have enough trust in myself, I guess, to just speak from the heart without first scripting from the heart. Anyways, I'm also planning on doing many more interviews. Um, And now that I have decided to take that route of a more collaborative podcast approach, I'm truly excited again for my podcast, which is the most important. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so absolutely for free by leaving a five-star rating and a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Not only do positive reviews help other people find the show, but it also builds credibility so I can have more guests on. I thank you immensely for your support, my friend, and I look forward to chatting with you in the next episode. Bye-bye for now!
1: In front of the other, and you'll see around the corner. Soon.
0: This podcast has been recorded by your host, Liv. This podcast has been edited by my small but mighty Live Label Free team and the beautiful song One Foot in Front of the Other that you are now listening to was written and recorded by my beautiful mom, Louise Alexandra. I am so grateful for my team and everyone who supports Live Label Free. Together, we are always stronger.